Welcome to the More Than Birds podcast, where we talk about more than birds. Today we're talking with Tristan Reed, the Inked Naturalist from Cambria in the United Kingdom. So Tristan, why are you the Inked Naturalist? Um, well, yeah, it, it, if you met me, uh, if, you, if you saw me, it would be fairly obvious. I, I've got a lot of uh, tattoos um, on my hands, my arms, some on my leg and the side of my head now. And uh, and obviously I'm also a naturalist. Okay, I'm predominantly a birder, but I got a, an interest in general natural history. Um, so so yeah, I I became the inked naturalist basically due to a conservation project I started. So do you want me to just go into yeah. the uh, yeah? What, what is the conservation project? Well, I visited Turkey in when was it now? It would have been 2011 in spring. I went on a sort of birding wildlife holiday with a few friends. We just hired a car and toured around southern and central Turkey. I kind of fell in love with the place. Uh, I'd n- never been to a place where there was such a, a range of wildlife, not just the range of species, but also the numbers, something we're not used to here in the UK nowadays. And also there was other things, the scenery, and there was um, the people were, were such amazing people. E- each village you went to had sl- something slightly different about it, but they were so welcoming and so friendly. So so you get the idea. I kind of fell in love with with Turkey. Anyway, I came back home full of excitement to tell everybody what you know we'd seen and, and such like and yeah I got I, I, shocking news really is that somebody uh, told me that the Turkish government had actually sold off all of its waterways to private corporations now the, the the reason for this was for the development of hydroelectric power plants and and other sort of dams now long and short of it is that over 1700 Hydroelectric power plants are planned to be in um, to be fully developed by 2023, and another on top of that, another 2,000 dams for water or irrigation purposes. Now, th- this is serious. This, this means that basically there's only going to be about 10 percent of water left in the in the river systems. So, from an ecological point of view, it, it doesn't take much to work out. You know, this is this is a serious issue for biodiversity um now turkey's got some really significant global biodiversity and you know it's in a it's in a part of the world where you've got a lot of other countries being affected so downstream you've got iraq there's been a lot of work with the iraq marshes um you've got things going on in syria and also in iran so you've got some major river systems like the tigris and the euphrates so so that you know this is serious so I got in touch with the conservation organisation out there, which I always pronounce really badly. But if you don't speak Turkish, um, it, you won't you won't tell. But it's Dari Dani, which I'll call mm. DD from now on. <laughs> <laughs> now they sort of gave me this information. Um, they've in Turkey. There's 305 what they call KBAs. They're key bio, biodiversity areas. 185 of these 305 are going to be detrimentally affected by these developments. So, so it's a crazy situation going on. Uh, and it's not – obviously, you've got the, the wildlife issues there. You've got a lot of really significant populations there, things like northern bald ibis, which is critically endangered. You know, 90% of the world population of Cinereus buntin breeds in Turkey. So, so we, I could realize a whole list of species which are going to be affected – 
But it wasn't only that, it was the people as well, the people side, the human side. There over 2,000, sorry, I'll repeat that, over 2 million villagers, it's estimated, are going to be forced to migrate. And as with the wildlife, there's no proper, um, um, what do you call them now? My mind's gone blank. Um, environmental impact assessments. Right. Yeah. Um, the proper environmental impact assessments done, and on the same side with, with, the, with regards to the villagers, there's been no social um, impact assessments been carried out either. And, and there's been, I mean, obviously, people of Turkey haven't taken this line. Then there's been hundreds of lawsuits put against Turkey, but the thing is, they've changed the laws every time so that they can basically, you know, quash all the or the legal proceedings against them so serious situation going on here so when i heard this i mean after going to turkey and being just amazed by the country and completely sort of had so so much excitement about the country i was lucky to be hit in the face of a brick to suddenly be told actually all that those things that you love about turkey are being destroyed so i kind of thought well i have to do something because i've just been to turkey and i didn't know what was going on there and i you know, if I if I'd just been there, and I didn't know. I know that nobody over here was going to know what was going on. So I had to do something that was that would make draw people's attention. Something something really different. Um, so so having gone from having no tattoos at all, I decided to have at least twenty on on both my arms of iconic Turkish birds. I wanted them to be. I wanted it to be a celebration of Turkey's wildlife as as well as sort of. Showing people these are the species which could be threatened by these developments, and it, it was you know t- tattoos aren't for everybody. I, I completely understand that, and and it wasn't a case of I wanted everybody to like them. I want all I wanted was people's attention. So if people like them or they don't like them, obviously I prefer it if they like them. But the the point is it it's got people's attention. So that this is why I went down this road of. Um, getting my my arms covered in tattoos so you you weren't and involved I went, uh, in any other sort of body modification first tattoo was this project yes yeah oh, um wow. I, and i have a fear of needles as well so my first session i, I was really anxious about it but, but uh you know i i was doing it for for a reason i was really passionate about so it, it, and and it, you know it, it's having it's working. I mean, I've all my tattoos as part of this project now have all been finished. So both my arms and hands are, are now finished. And and I'm, you know, there are moments where I wake up and think, what what have I done? Um, but then I remember why I've done it, and I'm you know I'm proud of that. And and it's it's getting people's attention. I mean, I I wouldn't be here talking to you now if if I hadn't got your attention with these tattoos. So, so it's help, it's working to help raise awareness. I've also raised over three thousand pounds for um, DD. So, and and the project's ongoing. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, yes, tattoos aren't for everybody, and I wouldn't. It's not that I would I would say, oh, you know, this is necessary route. Everybody should go down. It's a personal choice. I mean, it, it is forever after all. But for me, it was something that I I could really. I knew it would get people's attention. Uh, it's up, something very sort of. Um, it was something very different, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and you said you started off with twenty birds on each arm. No, but no, it's it's ten birds on each arm. Ten birds on each arm, but you've gone all the way up your. I've seen the pictures where you've gone up your neck and onto the sides of the head. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I ended up with 
24 species of bird on on my arms and hand uh, just because there was a bit more space mm-hmm. and the more I got sort of going with this project I realized actually this has a real big positive impact it it it, it this is how the sort of I guess the ink to naturalist was born and and so yes I got I've got the ink to naturalist I've got my logo on one side of my neck and I've also got a, a dodo skull but done in a vibrant color so in sort of you know what we call like day of the dead sugar skull style mm-hmm. Because that is is an iconic figure of extinction. And rather than get gloomy about extinction, it's more of a wake-up call. It's like, you know, this this bird's extinct and we are going to be, we are losing species every year. So it's not a case of, you know, everything's got to be positive. It's, it's, I think that we're at a stage now where we can actually say that, I think, especially with the things like the internet and social media, you're not a single voice anymore. So, so I, I guess, guess what I want to do is kind of bring people, bring people together and um, celebrate wildlife and make people want to protect it. You know, it's not a case of you shouldn't do that or, or, or such like. I'm not in a position to tell people what they should and shouldn't do, but I want to tell people what's fantastic about wildlife so that they will want to protect it. So that's kind of how this has developed and, and also the extension of the tattoos. It's, it's, you know, people say once you've had one, you, you, you don't stop. And uh, I guess that's sort of happening to me, although I'm not sure how much further I'll go. Well, Tristan, you still there? Still here, yep. Oh, you did mic just got out. But, you know, how long has have you been uh, involved in this project in Turkey and trying to deal with these hydro a lot? hydroelectric developments and what's been the progress well i've been involved it must be uh, about 20 months now um since i started so um yeah there's been a lot of tattoo work in that time 60 plus hours and um you know it it's difficult to know exactly what's happening out there because although i'm in contact with dd as much as i can there is a language issue and communication is slow. But what I do know is that one of their biggest projects, which is, um, again, I'll mispronounce it, but it's Isili Dam, which is out in the east of Turkey. Um, that has actually currently been, development has been ordered to stop on that by the Turkish courts. Now, this is an interesting situation because this has become high, high profile now. So the It'll be interesting to see what the Turkish government actually does because obviously prior to this they have changed laws and worked their way around it. But they, I think they now know the world is, is watching them a bit more now. So so th- th- this is stopped. But it's a case of a bit at a time. And my fear is this is the Turkish government wants to be at full capacity by 2023. So that's not a big time gap. That's only 10 years. So I think things have to change very quickly um, for, for, for us to really make any impact on what we're trying to do here. And you know when you're you're uh, fighting against these hydroelectric projects with all the habitat destruction, is another part of the effort to convince Turkey to start using alternative energy, much in the same way that Germany is now. You know, such a great percentage of their power coming from alternative. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it it's it's the, my main. My my main drive, what I'm doing is is trying to convince them that they need to protect that their wildlife is an asset. You know, people will travel to see the wildlife in their country, and they will pay to travel to see the money in their country. Uh, sorry, 
pay to go and see the wildlife in their country. That's kind of the angle I've gone in that because I I I, I can't go and argue with them about different electricity sources. I'm not an expert on on energy, but mm-hmm. so can do is I can go through and I can tell them you know why this you've got incredible wildlife here people will travel to see this you should be looking after it it is an asset to the country you know so that's the angle I've taken with it uh, I'm, I'm sure DED are working on a slightly different angle with trying to persuade them you know that there are other alternatives and and let's look at this realistically the amount of uh, hydro development going on there far exceeds the need for the country so this is a money-making thing they want to sell their electricity to other countries this is this is the key to it so it's a it's a capitalist venture at the at the sake of habitat and and these would you say two million people will be displaced i mean where are they going to go well, that's they, they will have to go into the cities and the towns which means that they their you know their their culture the the things that make turkey so great it's going to be dilute, diluted and eventually wiped out because their way of life is being destroyed. You know, much the same as what's happening in the Amazon with, you know, the Belmonte Dam and mm-hmm. things like that. Well, and, you know, you've been at this project for 20, 20 months now. And, you know, you said there's some injunctions from the Turkish courts. Are you pretty optimistic that this is going to come to a positive conclusion? With that particular development, yes, I'd hope so. But and, and my hope is that if there is a positive outcome for this development, then then the the legal sort of weight behind that will then snowball into the other sites. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd like to say I'm optimistic, but knowing how the Turkish government have reacted with with previous situations similar to this, uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't state anything on it, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean it. I've not given up on the situation. I mean, the next stage of my project is is, a, is is perhaps compared to the tattoos even more ambitious is that I'm planning to walk across Turkey, uh, which is about 4,000 kilometers, which uh, approximately is about 2,500 miles, I think. But somebody right. used for that. Because on Facebook, I see your, your updates of your workout regime, and it's just grueling looking. <laughs> Yeah, it feels it, <laughs> but but I need it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I plan is to start my walk sort of spring next year, so spring two thousand fourteen, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's going to take a lot of effort to do it. And I mean, the reasons why I'm doing it again, I'm not doing it as a protest. I'm doing it as a celebration of Turkey's wildlife, and if I can sort of show why I'm excited about Turkish wildlife, and even if I just turn maybe two or three people who formerly didn't take an interest in in their wildlife over there to take an interest it'll be worth it for me because that's the whole point is trying to inspire people to show them you know what why i love you know i'm a foreigner coming into their country why am i traveling that distance to to enjoy their wildlife what's so special about it so i kind of want to want to tell them that and celebrate you know i want to celebrate the wildlife and um you know I can't think of a better way to do it than to to walk across the country and experience it from end to end. Well, that is so. You know, we we've gone through this project and why you became the ink naturalist. But how did you become just the naturalist, Tristan the naturalist? What was the start of your your birding? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I, I was I've just started sort of attempting to write a, 
a book about this whole project and I've started at the begin tried to start at the beginning of I think I I was always predisposed to like like nature but I didn't this is this probably sound a bit sort of uh, gloomy actually but uh, I didn't have the best of childhood so me going out on my own for walks to enjoy nature um that was my escape and uh but then I, obviously that was my escape but then I I I really got passionate about it and and it was really good because when I was I mean I, I'm talking sort of when I was about 7 or 8 years old so when by the time I was at uh, high school I was really gaining a lot more knowledge about it and, and really quite excited about it. And I had a couple of school teachers who were also interested in birds and they really encouraged me. So it kind of built on from then. And then it, it's just the way sometimes life works out. I, I continue with my interest in birds and it developed into other areas of natural history. And then, you know, that influenced my job choice. So, I mean, I worked as, uh, well, we call them um, wardens. Um, you probably call them rangers but i you know i ended up working on nature reserves and then that's time now now i sort of work as a freelance ecologist so it's all it's always been part of my life and it's just built and built and built and uh, birding's always been the main aspect that sort of that i followed from from a young age just because i think birds are obvious and they're everywhere and you you know you can't go anywhere without noticing birds so i think i think it's probably their prominence more than more than anything um, but yeah, I'm interested in plants, and I'm interested in, in insects and mammals and reptiles. And if it's wild, I'm interested in it, basically. So, so, but yeah, it's just been a progressive thing through my life, and I just—it's just my my main passion, really. Oh, that's great! And I always ask everybody this, but what was your gateway bird? There's always that first bird that piques your your curiosity. Well, yeah, there's there's actually two that happened at a similar time. The first one is is was the northern lapwing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was walking home from school, and I I was brought up actually in southwest England in Cornwall, as far southwest as you can get while still being in England. And my my family is actually from Cornwall. <laughs> my where, dad's side of the family. Whereabouts out of interest? Do you know? Just Cornwall. That's all I really know. I know there's a family grave and people have gone to see it from the family, but I haven't. <laughs> I, I didn't make it to Cornwall to find out. I would call. But their last a... names were Nichols. Oh yeah, it's a very Cornish Cornish surname. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I was walking home from from primary school, and uh, I noticed these birds in the in a field, and they were. Um, they had these big long crests on them, and I didn't know what they were. So I went running home to my mum. My mum sort of, although she's not a birder, she she had snippets of knowledge about birds, and uh, yeah, she she said, "Oh, it's a peewit because it's another sort of like a local name that's given to them because of their call." Mm-hmm. And yeah, I remember getting really excited about these birds, and, and not long after that, there was we had a bit of a cold spell during the winter. Uh, which is quite unusual in Cornwall. Cornwall's quite mild. And we had these thrushes come into the garden and my mum brought me out to the garden to see them. And I can remember seeing these small birds with big striking head pattern and red along the wing. And she said, oh yeah, these are red wings. She told me they were from Russia. Not necessarily accurate. Scandinavia would have been a bit closer. But um, but I, uh, that was the point which I was really sort of realised that the birds that we have in our country 
they travel huge distances. Um, so, so I guess you know those two things really happened within probably months of each other, and and that that I would say they were my pinnacle moments really for for, for getting obsessive about birding. And were have you been uh, a lister or a chaser or the English term twitcher? Yes, I've I I've. I still travel or travel to see rare birds. I'm not as sort of um, obsessive about it now as I used to be. I mean, I, you know, there was a time where I would go to everything. You know, I've travelled from, I've day-tripped Ireland to see rare birds and and gone crazy distances to see birds. And I, I guess now I'll go maybe three or four hours to see a, a rare bird. If it's a really rare, if it's a bird that I really want to see, then yeah, I guess if time and money allows, I will travel as far as it takes me to see it. Um, but I don't do, although I will travel now, I don't do it so much now. I've got a young family and, and other commitments. So I guess that kind of, you know, sometimes you've got to kind of grow up a bit and live <laughs> your responsibilities, but uh, it's taken me a while to get to that point. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I quite happily call myself a, a twitcher, um, you know, there's always this sort of stigma between do you call yourself a twitcher or a birder? You know, hey, you can be both, can't you? And and I think I fit into both categories. So, so yeah. And and what you know, I, you know, in the U.S. we call ourselves listers, and we have the same obsessiveness, you know, as as the twitchers. And what do you think? A lot of people look at them at twitchers and and say, you know, about the you know the consumption of fossil fuels, consumption of resources, and the change of birds. But I always view it that, but by seeing the birds, you can kind of produce positive effects. Do you view the activity more as a net positive for ecology? Yeah, I do. I've had this question also because I've traveled, obviously, to Turkey and I mean, I've I went to Israel last year, and I'm going to Norway for a second time soon. So obviously, I, I do fly, and that is, yeah, you'd say hypocritical, but. I, I do think that by going to to see traveling to see a, a rare bird in the UK or, or traveling to another country to see the birds that they have there, I think it can have a real positive impact because you you almost start to evangelize then about this great wildlife we have on this planet, and and so yeah, I think it's a net positive. You know, I think people can argue any way with that. I admit I'm I'm a hypocrite. I mean, I hold my hands up high and say, yeah, I don't live my life in a completely um, ecologically sense, sensitive way. But if I did do that, my my act would be so narrow and I, I wouldn't be able to do as much positive work as, I, as I'm as i trying mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Right. And you, you mentioned you've been to Turkey. What, where, where have your other birding destinations been? I've been to... Yes, so I've been to Turkey. I've been to Spain. I've been to Arctic Norway. I've been to Israel. And um, yeah, they're, they're, I'm trying to think if I've missed a country out there somewhere. I mean, if you count, obviously Ireland is a different country, but there's, <laughs> you, you, you're, you're in, in complex territory, with, especially when it comes to uh, twitches and listers in the UK. Some count Britain only, and some count Britain and Ireland. I count Britain and Ireland, so right. I've traveled in Ireland. So. <laughs> well, we have very much the same situation with Canada. Ah, yeah. You know, if if you list in Canada, it all falls on your American Birding Association list, but you might keep a Canada list. You might keep a U.S. list. And and Israel, did you go there for the hawk migration or what was in I, Israel? 
No, I went there in um, for the Hula Valley Bird Festival in the north, and uh, I was I was asked over there by uh, to because I've got quite a, a, an active blog and things like that, and it, it was yeah. So it was there. It was there for the sort of the birding. It was there November last year. So and you know, phenomenal experience um, seeing thirty thousand plus cranes. Uh, leaving their roost in the morning and things like that it was pretty spectacular. And and so this Hula Valley is it? Uh, I'm not familiar with it, but is it uh, a wetland? Then I assume. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a wetland. I mean, that was where we were based. We did bird some of the other areas within travelling distance of there. So so we did some some desert birding and we did some coastal birding and things like that. But but yeah, the Hula Valley is the the sort of wettest area, I guess, in Israel. Um, you know, decent reed beds and things like that. So so quite different because you think of Israel, you think it's very desert-like. So it was quite interesting to see this real lush habitat in the in the north of the country. Right, and. and- so Hula Valley has to be close to Lebanon. You said it was in the north. Yeah, yeah it's close to Lebanon. It's close to Syria. It's you know basically one of the areas we went to was Mount Hermon, which is obviously right on the Syrian border there. So, so yeah, very very close to you're close to, to borders wherever you go in Israel, really. But right. it's quite a small country. But yeah, we were you know we were very close to the borders and, here. And how did you view the security? I mean, because, you know, I have this image of Israel as security being kind of a concern. Um, it, we were actually there. It was November last year, so there was there was the um, an upscaling of the conflict there uh, on the Gaza Strip. So we were aware, um, but we didn't, in any time, we didn't feel unsafe. We were, you know, we stood on the Syrian border. There was no issues there. Um, we were aware of what was happening. And I guess your... The, I didn't feel I, I, it was I, it was really weird being there, and because um, you often you have a perception of these countries, and it's a very black and white perception. But when we're there talking to the people there, it, it really opened my eyes a lot. And for, for my my partner Kath back at home, she was really worried because she was hearing on the news about all these rockets and and explosions and things. And you know we were having a great time. We were birding. We were in the countryside. We didn't see or hear any of it. So so it wasn't really. You know, I wasn't in fear of my life. I wasn't concerned about about you know things. It was, it was. Um, well, I mean, obviously, I was concerned about what was happening to to people being affected by it. But from a personal point of view, I didn't feel in in any way unsafe. And the 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 organisers of the event were very open about it. You spoke about it, and they said, "Well." Oh, you know, it's okay in this area, but you know, we won't be going anywhere near it. So, you know. It, it was a fairly open open situation right and um how many birds did you see in israel and what 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 do you think of the of the real target species if if one were going to go to israel and turkey for that matter so two questions well in in israel for for me to be honest i've not i think we we have recorded a Get on for two hundred species, um, but I've not actually tallied up. I've been since I come back in November. I've just been non-stop. But I, I can tell you the the, the species which I really wanted to see and, and succeeded with were things like Syrian serin, which we went up Mount Hermon to see, um, and there was also things like uh, white-brained black wheat ear was was really high on on my 
you know, wants to see this Namaqua dove, which is, you know, predominantly an African species, which is, is moving and getting more frequent in Israel, but still a fairly scarce, scarce bird to see. And uh, little green beaters, which is a, a resident species of beater they have there, which is just a beautiful bird. So, the, the, you know, I, I could list off a lot of species and but most of what I saw were really, you know, you really excited species. I mean, morning wheat here, desert lark, things like that was stuff that I, I was really excited to see. Um, and some of the goals, I, I, <laughs> which will send most people to sleep, but I'm really interested in my goals. And Israel has some really interesting and goals and very tricky to identify, you know, things like step goal. Um, and uh, you've got your Baltic goal and your Huglin's goal and things like that. So was, there was a range of things which which... I was really excited to see, you know, scrub warbler and um, and and also some of the the sort of some of the subspecies of things. They were very different to what we get here. Their jay, although the same species, looks very different. So so there was a range of excitement there for me. And uh, in Turkey, well, I can say probably one of the the, the biggest bird that people want to get when visiting Turkey is the Caspian snowcock, which is a high mountain species, and we succeeded with that. We, we went up into the high mountains at about three o'clock one morning and uh, had an amazing experience hearing them, them singing as we went up and then getting nice views, nice scope views of them. And then you've got your sort of more Arabian species, so you've got your Iraq babbler. You know, Turkey is about one of the only places you can see that in, in the sort of region we call the Western Palearctic. So that was that was a really sort of you know, high on our list of things like white-throated robin and upchers warblers, menatrees warblers, Dead Sea Sparrow, another quite an iconic species. And, um, you know, there was, <laughs> I think with, with Turkey, we, we had a 10-day tour of Turkey and we recorded 236 species. And I think about 60 of those were new birds for me. So, you know, there, there, was, there was a lot of, of really fascinating stuff, you know, Eastern Orphean warbler, Eastern olive olivaceous warbler eastern rock nut hatch western rock nut hatch um you know the list goes on right. and is turkey you know i always think of turkey because of just the shape of the country being a huge peninsula uh it's an important migratory stopover so did you hit it during migration or were these breeding slash resident birds most of the the birds that we we were hoping to see and that we did see were sort of breeding summer migrant birds we had hoped to hit some raptor migration especially over the gox q delta but you know like anything that is down to timing we had to time it right for the snowcock so it meant we were maybe slightly too early for the for the main migration but birds were starting to move through we had a big passage of short-toed eagles and um Montague's Harris were starting to move through and eleanora's falcons and things like that so but no we didn't we didn't hit it um right at the sort of peak time for migration but you know it's a big country i i I definitely will be going back again obviously i'll be going back to walk through it but again as a as a sort of just for a holiday uh, i quite like to do the far eastern sort of uh, van lake van and places like that some real special birds out east that we didn't see so so it's uh, so yeah i mean just just it would be great to see the migration in full swing for sure and you know you you've been doing this work with turkey and and conservation you called yourself a independent ecologist or freelance ecologist and so what does your work usually entail well 
basically here in the UK, uh, I'm sure it's the same same where you are as well. If for any um, developments, um, land developments, you need to do an environmental impact assessment. So basically, I do an independent um, survey, um, mostly avian. I, I do do some plant work as well, but mostly birds. So I survey an area over a period of time, and then I write um, a, a report and with suggestions, etc. And I also advise on mitigation if, you know, if an area of that's that's fairly good for wildlife is is going to be developed on. Um, I give options for extending either that area to compensate for the development disturbance and things like that. So, so it's more it's more I guess it's more corporate than I used to do, but it it pays better and you got to live. <laughs> you got to live, especially like you said, you have a family and it gets definitely expensive. So you know when family. I'm always interested in people, how, how they balance birding and family. And so what's been your balance, especially since you're traveling, like you said, to Turkey and these other places. I'm, I'm quite lucky in that my, my partner, she's, she's very tolerant of my, my bird and she, she's not big on traveling herself. She, she, she's scared of flying. So she, I'd love her to come with me, but, uh, she, what she refuses to fly. So, um, so for, I get about one, one or two maybe foreign trips a year and, and luckily the children's grandparents um, both my mum and, and um, Cav's mum help with looking after the children and there's aunties as well and things like that so my partner works full time but she'll take a few days holiday plus we'll, we'll draft in help from elsewhere to cover um, and um, on a sort of I guess a, a week to week basis I try and I have one day birding with friends a week and the the other day we do family things so it it balances out okay and, and my partner she's, she's big on her running so she gets to do her, her running and we work a flexible situation it's <laughs> some some like to go out and and other weekends I do and I think I'm really lucky is certainly my daughter's um the two older daughters are at an age where they're really interested in what I'm doing and interested in wildlife. So even if I'm not able to go out with, with friends birding, I take a walk locally and see what's doing. So, so yeah, I, I don't suffer too much. And, and you know, with this birdie on the weekends, what was your last chase? My last, oh, my last chase was an awful one because I didn't see it. <laughs> I was away birding, sort of travelled over to the east coast, over to um, County Durham last weekend just to see what we could see. So that doesn't really count. But before Christmas, I went down to London or, or, or thereabouts in the hope of seeing a, a bird you're probably familiar with, the buff-bellied pipit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it was a, it was a, yeah. I mean, we basically we travelled down early hours of the morning, and. Uh, spent the day in the rain looking for this bird and didn't see it. So it was uh, two days all in traveling and birding, and and we didn't see it and we didn't see much else. So that was that was really painful. But the, the last successful which I guess you want a positive. Story. There's the positive I wanted to hear. <laughs> was probably back, I think it was back in October, maybe November, uh, and I went up into Scotland into Fife in Scotland to see a. An eastern olivaceous, which ironically is a bird I've obviously seen quite a few of in Turkey, but I'd never seen one in the UK. And this bird showed incredibly well, and out in the sun, it was really nice area to, to be birding in. And, and we, yeah, we saw that, and we also saw an, a, a rad warbler, 
don't know if you're familiar with Radzwa, but a couple mm-hmm. sort of she's I think you I think there's records in in, in yeah, Alaska. I think there is in the Pribilos. Yeah. So um so yeah, that was really good. We had a really good day and we you know, that was a fair I mean that was about I don't know, maybe four hours each way traveling. So it was a, it was longer than I generally go, but for a bird like that it was definitely worth worth the effort. Right. And what's kind of your future plans? You mentioned you're writing a book or thinking of writing a book or Yeah, I'm, I'm writing a book about my so initially I'm writing a book about the tap side of my project sort of how how i became the ink naturalist and obviously i've got this this long journey ahead of me uh next year walking across turkey i'm, I'm going to try and document that as well uh, make a film out of it i think mm-hmm. uh, and obviously there'll be a book involved in that as well and and yeah just who knows what what comes up in my off up to i'm actually back to arctic norway uh in no, uh, sorry, in March, uh, fly out on, I think, the 20th of March for the um, Gulf Fest 2013, which is another birding wildlife festival held up in uh, in the Varangafjord in the in the Arctic Circle. I'm up there and I'm, I'm out there to actually give a talk and to uh, hopefully see some really exciting wildlife. So, so yeah, and I, 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 no other solid plans for travelling after that, but... Um, I hope to get away somewhere, but uh, somewhere abroad. But um, I, I don't tend to plan that far ahead. You know, just see what happens, really. Oh yeah. And so you know, what would how would people get in touch with you or get in touch with DD <laughs> and, and help out on this uh, the Turkish Hydro? Right. Okay. Issue? Well, my main my main um, the best way is through my website, which is theinktnaturist.co.uk and you can uh, contact me via via that website and there's also if you there's a there's a I've got a section there which explains my projects and there's also forms to fill out where people can help because part of my walking project is is also to involve people so I'm I'm inviting people to join me for parts of the trek out there and also for some of my training in the UK so there's four, you can fill out online forms there to lodge an interest and um and obviously via twitter as well I'm very active on twitter so at inked naturalist is my twitter handle and people can follow me on that uh, if they want to go direct to my um just given page my fundraising page um that's Again, there'll be links to that on my website, uh, but that's justgiving.com slash walking for Turkish wildlife, so it's easy to remember. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're the best ways to, to get in contact with me. I mean, if they just Google the Ink Naturalist, they will, uh, they will find me. Well, that's great. Well, Tristan, thank you so much for being a guest today, and uh, I hope you much luck on your future endeavors. You're training to walk across Turkey and the Ink Naturalist Project. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me on. It's been been really enjoyable. Oh, thank you.